Okay, everybody. I have something really cool to tell you about. If you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain here. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will uh, distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one single place. Now, the way that you can do this is you got to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. And then you can get started. It's really fun. We just switched over recently here at All Too Real 2, and I'm enjoying it so far. So be sure to check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2. My name is Michael E. Cullen II, and with me, as always, is... Is Matthew... Why are we talking like this? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to stop. Matthew (laughs) Haas. Me too. Okay, anyways, um, today on the show, we have another All Too interview, this time with the very talented Greg Proops, who most people know from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Um, he was also um, one of the voices of the announcers in uh, the Phantom Menace Star Wars movie um, mm-hmm. during the pod race. Um, he uh, was the voice of Bob the Builder for years. He uh, has been in tons of things. He was in he he was in uh, um. Nightmare Before Christmas, a um, mm-hmm. bunch of different you know things, but like I said, most people know him from both the UK and the US versions of Whose Line Is It Anyway. <clears throat> Been part of my life ever since high school when I started watching Whose Line. So yeah, um, he also um, um, hosts the uh, hosts the podcast uh, The Smartest Man in the World. And, um, which, uh, you should all check out. Um, before that, he also hosted the Greg Proops Experiment, um, podcast. Um, he's, uh, you know, really cool guy. I enjoyed talking to him about, uh, basically the <clears throat> stuff going on in the world. And I don't know, it's just very cool, um, to talk to kind of one of my, uh, comedy heroes. Yeah. So here's my interview with Greg Proops. So, uh, how are you doing uh, during all of this uh, COVID and all of the other craziness in the world? Well, I go between gibbering and futile anguish and drinking too much. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my wife is a superb cook, so that's good. Um, <laughs> she made. Uh, rigatoni with the uh, tuscan sausage last night it was off the hook so nice. i'm lucky there yeah and, you know we watch old movies and uh but i'm not as i i do shows all the time but i i'm having trouble writing you know what i mean like i can talk but writing is not making it happen for me so yeah anyway i you know you get depressed and then you realize a lot of people are working really hard and you have no right to be depressed and so then you try not to be depressed yeah. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, golly. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy here too, so. <laughs> Are you guys locked down? Um, we've, we're on a curfew, not a lockdown, but we've got like a, curf- uh, a you know, curfew at night for, I think three more weeks. He just extended it. So, yeah. So our restaurants open. Um, yeah, but they close, close, uh, they have, I think they close at 10. So, you know, it's still pretty late. I just don't even understand what the curfew is doing. So I think they, if they're going to lock it down, they should just lock it down. Well, your governor's on the saner side of Republicans, if there is such a thing. Yeah. At least he believes it exists. <laughs> That's true. Because, uh, yeah, sadly, a lot of them don't. Um, oh, DeSantis in Florida? I know. Wow. Wow. And Texas, Abbott? Yeah. They're getting everybody killed. Yeah, one of my best friends lives in lives in Florida, and I always worry about him. I'm like, He's he's luckily not he's a he's a musician down there and he hasn't luckily left his apartment too much so that's at least good. <laughs> but, I mean, when you see uh, people in nightclubs and hanging out and stuff, it's just like wow. Yeah, yeah. I just, well, I just you know, yeah. It it is what it is, unfortunately, and I hope that we get past this and not too many more people die. Um. But uh, it's yeah, three thousand a day now, so it's a little depressing. But yeah, I know yeah, it is. It, it, it is. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't get any higher. Um, so uh, on a on a lighter note, I guess. Uh, could you, yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> could you uh, t- tell me a little bit about how you got started in like uh, entertainment and uh, comedy and everything? Yeah, uh, yeah, I always wanted to do it, and um, I did all the variety shows in high school. Junior high, I wanted to do it, but I was too shy and too short. Um, and uh, by the time I got to high school, I grow, I grew a little. Yeah. Uh, and so, when you, you know, when you're a pipsqueak with glasses, <laughs> it's kind of hard to get the attention you want. Uh, and then, out of high school, um, we went to junior college, and I had a partner named Forrest Brakeman, and we uh, started doing stand up together. And then we moved to San Francisco, and uh, I did theater at San Francisco State. And when we started hitting all the nightclubs, which in those days were the Holy City Zoo, the other cafe, and the Punchline. And then uh, I stayed with it. He came down here and became a sound guy. And uh, I joined an improv group called Fault Line in uh, college. And then uh, in the mid-'80s, we played San Francisco for a couple of years. With Mike McShane was in the group who was in the original uh, British Who's Line. Yeah. And then I got on Who's Line and uh, it all kind of blew up from there. That was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I was eventually able to move to England and live there for five years and toured and did Edinburgh and a uh, festival. And because of England, you can play Ireland and because of Ireland, you can play Scotland. And, you know, so yeah, kind of opened the show plays everywhere, uh, like India and the Middle East. So um, me and Jeff Davis played India a couple years ago, and nice. um, so it, yeah, it's a, a there's no accidents, I guess. But I was really lucky to get on, um, and that the producer Dan Patterson went to University of Chicago, so he loved Americans, and so one season into it, he decided to bring a bunch of Americans over to do the show, and I got on. Two of us from San Francisco, Mike and me. Mike got on the year before me, and then I got on the next year. And uh, Then he added Ryan and Colin the year after that. So the show sort of took on a different flavor. And I think the English people liked our energy because we jumped up and down and high-fived and stuff, and they all did this, you know, handshakey, <laughs> sit-on-your-ass thing that they were doing for 100 years. And... um and it's just got blown up since then. I mean, you know, I've been doing stand-up since I was a kid and uh, improv since I was a kid. And uh, we're 40 years into it now. So what can I tell wow. you? I, That's crazy. Yeah. 30 years into 30 something years into whose line. My yeah. first year on the show was 89. Yeah. I was, I was in uh, high school the first time I saw it. Uh, my, uh, my drama teacher used to show it to us in class like once a week. She, uh, she had all the, all the, tapes of the British episodes and everything and showed us it. it was, and we used to try to, you know, do the improvs in our, ourselves in the class. So, right. <laughs> so that, that that's was, cool. That was always fun. Yeah. Um, luckily I, I, I wish I'd had a show like that when I was little, 
I know it, it was it was lucky because uh, it I think it helped me like because I've done a lot of stage work and also film work acting and stuff and I think it's helped to know a little bit about improv and I've taken some improv classes since then too so I think it does help people a lot. Um, it's a useful tool, uh, yeah. and no matter what you do for a living, because uh, people think they don't know how to improvise, but of course they do. Like when you go to work and you're late and you have to bullshit your boss, that's improvising. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, we're improvising all the time. It's just that people don't look at their life that way, and uh, that's why the no fear element is so important. And also, uh, what Keith Johnstone. When I was in high school, it was Viola Spolin, Improvisation to the Actor. And then we got hip to Keith Johnstone's book from England, Impro. And he said, I think the most salient thing, which is um, you're walking backwards. So you know where you've been. That's all you know. You don't know where you're going. And so you have to trust the that. And yeah, I've been a stand-up longer than I've been an improviser. And it informs the stand-up completely so the last album i made which by the way i haven't bothered to edit or release it's been a year oh wow um that's how you know yeah this is affecting me uh i i improvised it you know i knew what i was i had a few things i wanted to talk yeah. about and i had a couple routines that were set but largely i just went at it and the last couple of albums i made i've really really tried to just focus on what i want to say and how I could say it better, but improvising it. So it's hard to remember the routine sometimes because I didn't write them. <laughs> <laughs> and they're as ephemeral to me as they are to the audience, you know? Uh, but it's a real, it's a great tool because if you're failing on stage when you're doing stand-up and the audience hates you, you can always come off the script and then just talk to them and, and that'll work because you can improvise. So there's yeah. some comics who literally are married to their jokes. They, cannot come off the jokes yeah and that's how they work and then there's other comics who are looser and then there's a few of us who both do improv and stand-up for some reason improv is improvers improvisers hate stand-up comedians in general and uh stand-up comedians hate improvisers and i always thought it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh that's yeah stand-ups are selfish and you know we have to have a big ego because you take a lot of hits yeah. So you have to be like a relief pitcher. You have to be able to, you have to get shellacked and then come back the next night and pretend that never happened. Yeah. And improvisers don't want to write. <laughs> so that's where standups are like, what? Because of... it's all about writing with standup. Yeah. And a lot of times when you're improvising, you have somebody else to fall back on. But when you're standup. Sorry, you're did just, I just mute you? Just you. I don't know. Did you? <laughs> Hello. What the hell have I done here? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I missed what you said because I accidentally pressed the Surrey <laughs> button, I think, which I hate. No, um, ba basically, I was just saying that, uh, you know, like with, with improv, at least you have somebody else to fall back on. And with uh, stand up, yeah, you're in stand, -up a band. stand up, it's just you on stage. So, you know, if you mess yeah, up, it's yeah. you. I agree. So, yeah. Um, There's a lot of security in having a band because you can always, someone will pick you up if you're having a bad night, you know? Yeah. Um, the, uh, so, um, how, uh, how did you get, um, discovered for Who's Line? Anyways, anyway, um, I was just curious, like, did, did the producer see you or did they, were they just, well, I was in a, uh, hmm. the group I was in in San Francisco and, um, McShane and I were doing, uh, a two-hander, you know, we'd write yeah. sketches and jokes and songs and shit and we'd improvise within that. And we were lucky enough to like play with Rob and Robin would come by our show sometimes nice. and, and improvise with us. And, uh, I was playing in, um, Spokane, Washington with a uh, split night in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, <laughs> uh, which is Nazi territory, as you know, Eastern Washington and Idaho. Oh, like, geez. <laughs> pretty like anti-masker kind of Confederate flag place. Yeah. And I was there with Tom Kenny, who you may know as Sponge. Oh, yeah. square pants and uh, we were at the horrible deli and McShane phoned me at the condo and said hey there's this weird British TV show auditioning and I only want you to improvise and I'm like I cried in my room and um, because I wasn't in San Francisco and then thank god they came back the next year and that's when I got on so because I was getting like booed off the stage by like rednecks in Idaho 
and he was getting <laughs> on the British TV show. So he went to England. He came back and he told me all about it. And I was like, I'm fucking going. So I, you know, auditioned the next time, got on, and then later that year, um, I went in the summer, and it was quite warm, strangely for England in those days. I got a tan. <laughs> um, then they did a Christmas special, which was hilarious because it was the worst show we've ever done. And I brought my wife over, who wasn't even my wife then. That's how long ago it was. And um, I said to her after we'd been there a couple of days, you want to move here? And she went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so about a couple couple years after that, I got on um, a stand-up slot on a variety show called um, Viva Cabaret. And McShane was hosting it. And, and then there was another cat. And I, you know, I got to work with like Tom Jones and shit. It was, you know, it was a proper oh, wow. variety show. They had like <laughs> magicians and yeah. That's and cool. um, yeah, we got drunk with him and he sang all night. It was really <laughs> cool. And uh, because of that, I hooked up with the producer. I, I phoned a, an agent in England basically. And like, was like, I need to come over and I'm going to do all this shit. And she was like, well, no one is want you. You know, no, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, they always say no. And um, randomly, uh, unfortunately for me, a Scottish comedian named uh, Parrot, that's the name he went by on stage. Parrot? Willie. Okay. <laughs> Parrot. Uh, yeah, Pada. Pada. Because he's from uh, Motherwell, outside of Glasgow. And um, at Glasgow, he, uh, he said, do you want to come over and... Um, do a tour of Scotland, right? Like he offered me it. And it was Dundee and Edinburgh, Aberdeen. Uh, we all sat in a big uh, SUV, like a show. It was called a Shogun. And we just, everybody chain smoking with the windows up. Uh, me and him and uh, a couple other comics went, did all these gigs in um, Scotland. And it was, uh, and then he had a gig in, Paisley at some bar, Rico's, I think it was called. By the way, I'm still friendly with all of them. That's, uh, that's Fred Macaulay was on that bill, and Fred Macaulay's a, been on BBC Scotland for 100 years. I did his show last year in Edinburgh. Uh, I see him every time I go. So yeah, it's 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 nice. Uh, cool. And then that opened up England to me after I did that. That was in '92. Uh, early that next year, I got a potato chip commercial in England because Ryan didn't want to do it. <laughs> and so I went over and did it. And when I did it, uh, I, you know, snuggled up to the agents and was like, look, I'd like to come over here and work. So then I did Viva Cabaret. And then I did Edinburgh that year, 93. And then that was that. The next year we moved over. It was like, nice. we just moved. We weren't really legal. We got a flat. You know, we had a bunch of flats. And uh, huh. I toured the country in 94, 95, 96, and 97, a whole tour around the country each year oh, wow. after Edinburgh. So I did the work, you know. Yeah. I, I did 60, 70 dates every year. And plus I played in London, all the clubs in London, John Gleer's Comedy Store, Aranji Boom Boom in those days. The, what was that guy's name? Eugene Cheese had a room at the Shakespeare's Head, I think. <laughs> I was a kid then, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> So that gave me the confidence to um, face any situation because by then I'd been to Australia and all over England and Ireland and Scotland and Canada and you know the U.S. and so I was pretty confident about not caring whether the audience liked me or not. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've done a because um, you, you mentioned. Uh tom kenny and stuff so you've done a lot of voice work yourself too so uh how how'd you get involved into that i'm just curious because I, oh, I, 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 fasc- I find that fascinating <laughs> i wish i was a bigger you know tom is like giant Los oh Angeles. i know i'm friends with him yeah and i'm friends with uh john dimaggio uh, and john is also a titan down here phil lamar yeah uh and i've worked with all of them for years off and on um I, I started doing it in San Francisco, you know, just local stuff like mm-hmm. Safeway commercials and whatnot. And uh, then in, in England, I carried on doing it. I did a bunch of ah, 
ads and stuff, whatever they want in America, you know. Then I got really lucky in uh, the early 2000s, and uh, they wanted a new voice for the American Bob the Builder, or what they call North America, which means Canada, too. Yeah. And uh, I went in and auditioned, and uh, I was doing all these funny voices, and finally she came over the speaker and said, um, Greg, do you mind just doing your voice? And I said, are you insinuating that I have a funny cartoon voice? And <laughs> so I did my voice and I was Bob the Builder for like four or five years. It was great until they sold the company. Yeah. Um, and then one awesome time, I was over with Drew Carey d doing a, a television show, a travelogue show about the World Cup. You know, we were in Germany. It was 2006. And um, me and Drew were there with my wife and his girlfriend at the time. And yeah. Uh, we went all over fucking Germany, Mainz and Frankfurt and Stuttgart and Munich. And, you know, it was great. We drove around and we flew around and uh, uh, Bachrock and um, all the little historic towns on the Rhine where the Lorelei is and all that jazz. And uh, I had done a session of Bob the Builder, which were the greatest sessions in the world. <laughs> flew to London, go to Soho. There's a coffee shop place called Bar Italia that I love. A big poster of Rocky Marciano over the bar. Rocky Marciano of all people. That's funny. <laughs> so you get an espresso, you know, and then go to the studio and we'd work till noon one and then we'd order Chinese food or curry. And the producer was a guy named Pete and all he and I did was talk about music. Like he was a music fan, so we'd talk about Bob Dylan and Steely Dan, Aretha, whatnot. And uh, then... After about a day and a half, we'd finish. And there was a lot of shows. It would be a stack of shows, you know. <laughs> they would allot like two or three days to do it. And we'd always finish it in like a day and a half. So then I'd have all that free time. Nice. So I went and I did a session. And then I went to Germany. And uh, the engineer um, erased the session by accident. Oh, no. So I flew back from Germany to London. Uh, and of course, they were desperate. And I was just amused. They were like, oh, my God. You know, we fucked a whole two days worth of, you know, it was like 15, 18 shows. Oh, wow. And uh, Yeah. And uh, so they go, we, will you fly back? And I'm like, oh, I, let me think about it. And yes. So I flew back. They gave me a bottle of champagne for my trouble. <laughs> and I got paid again. So I was pretty excited about that one. That was a good day at the. But they were really nice to me. That's cool. And then sadly, they sold their company, so I don't have that gig anymore. But oh, that's that cool. was probably one of the better ones. And then the other best one is uh, in 92, they were making Nightmare Before Christmas in a model shop in San Francisco. Henry Selleck was shooting it there. And Danny Elfman was to do the score. So my, again, my good luck, they came to San Francisco for a day. Speaking of voice work, and my voice agent gave me this cassette tape and said, learn this song and you can go in an audition next Friday or whatever. They're coming down <laughs> or up rather. Uh, Danny and Denise Genovi from uh, who produced uh, Nightmare with uh, Disney. And uh, I learned this song. And it's the opening song. Boys and girls of everything. And so I did all these different voices for it. <laughs> You know, blah, 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 monsters and shit. And um, I had to go do like an MTV half hour comedy hour. This gives you an idea of how long ago this was. <laughs> 92. An MTV half hour comedy hour. <laughs> and uh, I uh, said to the auditioners, may I please go first? Because I have to catch a plane. Can I go? You know, can I be the very first person you see? Like it started at 11 or something. And so I walked into the room. They hadn't seen anyone else in San Francisco. And I said to Danny, um, at the risk of being sycophantic and obsequious, I want you to know that the music reminded me of Harold Arlen. And he's like, which one's Harold Arlen? And Denise goes, he wrote The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and so <laughs> I did my audition and I got on the show. And then about five years ago, um, I got a call from my voice agent in L.A. And they said... Um, hey, Nightmare Before Christmas is doing a live show with the orchestra in Tokyo. Will you audition? And I'm like, audition? I'm in it. <laughs> and uh, so I went in the bathroom of the hotel we were staying at in San Francisco. 
I said to my wife, this is going to be a very painful hour for you. Uh, I went in the bathroom with my computer and I sang into it <laughs> and uh, recorded this the same bloody song I'd done in 92 wow. and uh, sent it back and I got a call from Danny's producer, Laura, a manager rather, and um, I didn't go to Japan, but then the next year we did the Hollywood Bowl, then we did Brooklyn, then we did the Hollywood Bowl, then we did, uh, last year was the greatest year, which is why I'm never voting for a Republican again, and I would never would anyway, but yeah. They've ruined the world. Um, last year, we did Tokyo, Dublin, Glasgow, and London at Christmas. We did Tokyo in the spring, and we did Dublin, Glasgow, and London at Christmas time last year with Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. Full studio orchestra, full full orchestra. Yeah. Royal Orchestra of Scotland, the National Orchestra of Ireland, and the London Philharmonic at the Wembley Arena. Um, Danny, Catherine O'Hare, Ken Page. Um, Amazing. 15,000 <laughs> fucking people every night. And, you know, I've never had so much fun in my entire life. I'm standing right next to the conductor. So where I am is here. The conductor's right there. Looking at me this way. So John Malcheri, he's Leonard Bernstein's protege. Wow. Sing, he sings the song with me. When I'm singing, it's my song. He'll sing with me. And uh, the violas are right behind me, the strings. So it, it resonates in your chest while the, the band's playing. It's just a magnificent experience. I'm not a trained singer. Yeah. Can't read music. All the other people on the show are really excellent. You know, they do sessions. They're session people. Yeah. So I'm out way underwater. But I'm plucky and I'm loud. <laughs> and uh, the luckiest part is that Danny uh, wants my voice in the show. Yeah. He, wa he asked specifically that I come back so because I have the quality of so i got really really lucky with that and you know danny was planning we were planning on doing stuff this year yeah not we but he was if yeah. he wants to do it it happens and then you know we all got caught with this shit so yeah he made an album in his studio instead but i think he was really not happy the first month or two because he's a classical musician and he goes around the world and does concerts so i think he planned on going to you know you know, his, his, yeah. his schedules, why, you know, he'll go to Vienna, he goes to yeah. Germany, you know, and then we do this too with the big orchestras. So he, that's just... he's not, oh, and he, they were going to do a Coachella with them. Oh, wow. Boingo, Boingo. And oh, that wow. got skadoofled. And he was telling me how excited he was to do Coachella at Christmas last year. You know, how he was going to work out and rehearse and all this because, yeah. you know, they haven't been abandoned in a hundred years. Yeah, I was like, I was like, have they have they gotten back together since they broke up? Oh no, no, wow, <laughs> no. But Steve Veritek um, from the band is Danny's orchestrator and is always involved in everything. I believe Steve's there for all the nightmare stuff. And when they do, sometimes they do a Boingo number at the Hollywood Bowl after the show, right? Oh. Like we finish the show, do the encore, then Danny come out and do a couple Boingo numbers just for the crowd. Nice, this is Hollywood. And Steve would play lead guitar, and you know, and and yeah. the band, and um, he's the nicest, nicest person in the world. Really, a genius of of guitar and tech. And um, we've had the same crew for the whole time. Uh, Paul, who does our sound, and Richard and Laura, the managers, and the five of us, principal singers, who I work with. Yeah. Um, so it's really nice. We're like a little family. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully in yeah, twenty twenty one, you can come back. Um, I bloody hope so because I'm yeah. so fucked off. We didn't get to do it. This year. <laughs> I, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah. Um, just because Republicans refuse to believe that the disease existed, I know they're busy selling stocks and shit. It's just yeah, they don't care about the people. They care about the money, human life. Yeah. Nope. Nope. They don't care if you know grandma and grandpa pass away. Whatever. No, um, they do not. No. <laughs> I'm Tom. And I'm Brian. Hosts of Be Hero Fights. Home of the greatest debates of our time. We tackle the tough topics such as Fortnite vs. Call of Duty. McDonald's vs. Burger King. John Wick vs. Wait, is, is that really fair? 
Nevertheless, join us weekly on Spotify, Apple, Google, and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. And hear the madness ensue. And as always, fight on. So, uh, another uh, voice you're known for is the is in Star Wars: uh, Phantom Menace. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have to, I, I have to ask you about that because, uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm actually wearing a Star Wars shirt right Surprise. now. Surprise. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a nerd, so of course I am. So, <laughs> but yeah, how did that, uh, how did that come about? Playing in Edinburgh in 96 <laughs> with, um, at a beautiful venue called the Pleasance Over the Road. That was a church that they'd converted into a nightclub. In those days, everybody smoking and drinking at tables. And then there were bleachers behind them. So there were tables on the floor and then bleachers were beautiful. I played there two years. I really loved it. I would go behind the curtain and smoke a joint and then I'd come on <laughs> because I had a big fan back there. Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah, it was just great show and great fun and, uh, about a 300 seater, which is like perfect for comedy, you know. And then Scott Capuro was a friend of mine from San Francisco. He had a show uh, after mine, but we're both American. And the woman who was um, casting the Phantom Menace, um, George doesn't ever shoot in the United George doesn't ever shoot in the United <laughs> States. Um, none of any of the Star Wars have been shot here. Yeah, not a, not an inch mm-hmm. of footage. All in uh, uh, Tunisia, uh, England, whatnot, mm-hmm. and other locations but not America. And so uh, she came to Edinburgh to scout voices for the podcast. I mean, the pod race announcers, the podcast, <laughs> the pod race announcers. And she brought me and Scott into a studio and she saw both of our shows. And then she asked us to come to a, uh, a studio in London where we riffed and, and read from the script and whatnot. And then we got it, you know, they wanted two American voices and we were both comedians. So we threw in all the jokes and, you know, yeah, He's got the skills to pay the bills, Ooh, ah, you know, and all that jazz. And yeah. So I think she thought it was lively. So then we went to the model shop in um, Leavesden and um, they put these giant prosthetic heads on us. They, in those days, they, you had to have straws up your nose and they wrapped your head in paper mache and to get a mold of your head. And then they cut it off you and made a, a giant prosthetic head that you had to have attached to you. Oh, wow. Now it's, I've had it done since 10 years ago. I had it done on true Jackson, same prosthetic head. Yeah. They don't make you do the hostage situation thing with the straws anymore. <laughs> you can breathe. In those days, this is the nineties. And since you're a nerd, you'll appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, the guys who were running the model shop were vibrating with excitement, not because of us, but they'd had Uma Thurman in earlier in the week <laughs> and they'd had to do her cat suit for the Avengers movie. Oh, wow. So they had her down to her underwear and they had to wrap her. <laughs> so they were still talking about how they had Uma Thurman in. <laughs> and uh, so then came the day and it was a bright and early call, as I recall, 4.45 or 5 or something. And um, we went to the studio and they wrapped our heads. It took a couple hours. And we had coffee went on. And after the head's on, there's no more anything. Because once the head's on, you're, you're, yeah. you're not really you know, going to eat a submarine sandwich. <laughs> so uh, we go to the set, and George is there. And he couldn't have been nicer. And on a side note, by the way, when he sold the property to Disney for a billion dollars, he gave it all to charity. Oh, wow. He gave all that money to education in the Bay Area. Yeah. He's that's, a nice person. That's awesome. Yeah, a billion dollars. <laughs> um, he uh, was acting like we were building a model train. You know, there was a hundred people standing around. There was two giant blue screens. There was a couple of fucking seventy millimeter, you know, uh, cameras. Yeah. And George came up and goes, um, guys, uh, "Have you guys seen the Andres?" And I go. No, George, it's a secret. No one's seen it. And he goes, would you, um, would you, would you like to look at it? And I said, sure, George, we'll look at it. So I didn't have my glasses on because I had a giant thing on my head. 
And I can't see anything, <laughs> right? Especially in those days. And the video monitor was the size of like an iPhone. Yeah. It was, you know, this big. So, and it was a, a mock-up of uh, drawings, some animation, and some animated still type stuff, right? It, it, was a, it wasn't a complete race, yeah. but it was, a, you know, markers. Like a storyboard almost, but animated. Yeah. So I had to put my face right up to the fucking thing. It was close because I couldn't <laughs> see a goddamn thing. And he played a supply race a couple times. And then I was like, well, that was pretty wild. And he says, well, do you want to shoot it? And I went, okay, George. So me and Scott got up and uh, in front of a blue screen, right? So we're wearing blue, you know, things up to the art. You can see it online. Yeah. The, the other heads that we were. <laughs> Uh, it, it, there's pictures extant of what we looked like. I think I have green headphones on and I think he has red headphones on. They look like Scandinavian, uh, you know, uh, post mid century kind of headphones. <laughs> and, uh, we're ugly little bug people, you know, and, uh, he, you know, d- the direction for the race was okay. Both look this way. Both look that way. Both look that way. <laughs> Look, look that way, you know. Look that way. Be excited. Do this. Do that. We read the lines a million times, but you know you're going to do the lines over a thousand times. The lines they capture on the day are not the yeah. lines you, that are going to be in the movie. And uh, he couldn't have been nicer. We were there for a few hours. We met you and McGregor. He was coming over from Second Unit. He was working with um, Frank Oz, <laughs> who was shooting Second Fucking Unit. Wow. And. Uh, all the props and shit for Golden Eye were there. All these <laughs> helicopters and Soviet stuff, you know, like from that. Was that a Pierce Brosnan one, I think? Yeah, it was, yeah. And um, this is Leavesden <laughs> and uh, outside of London. Then we went back to my crib. My wife was there and uh, we ordered Chinese takeout. And we called each other Star Wars all night. Um, <laughs> we Right before we left, Scott, it was pretty bullshit. Um, grabs the second AD and he says, "Hey, is there any swag?" <laughs> and the second AD goes, um, "Give me a mo." Blows off, comes right back in. Um, a polar fleece that says, "Episode one." <laughs> Wasn't named yet. It was just episode yeah. one. So it's kind of like having a Revenge of the Jedi thing. Nice. <laughs> I have something that no one else has. Don't come and steal it. <laughs> and no, I'm never selling it on eBay or anything. No. But I'm I'm guessing it might be worth something because I don't know how many people have an episode one polar fleece. We wore them home. You know. <laughs> we were pretty excited. Uh then uh, I've been lucky enough to be in every subsequent pod race adventure. Lego Christmas, was it? There's a I think there's a Christmas Lego pod race. Uh couple different video games over the years, starting with the early nineties DVD ones and going into now. Um, there was a Star Wars show called Resistance. Uh, that's yeah. a, uh, they were pod racing in that. So they brought me back, but changed the name of the character, which was hilarious. <laughs> and, um, then I was lucky enough to be in Clone Wars as a bad guy named Tal Merrick. And uh, I got killed in that because I was <laughs> threatening Princess Amandala with a, with a blaster. And, um, <laughs> I got another call from the people in those days, Lucas, now it's Disney. And so they said, uh, uh, you want to come back and do Tom Merrick? And I said, I can't. He's dead. And they're like, um, prequel. Prequel, Star Wars prequel. So I did it again. Uh, and then, like I said, the resistance was the last thing I think I did with Star Wars, but I've really been lucky because somehow they keep bringing the bloody pod race back. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I guess what was hilarious is I had to go in an audition for it and I did all these different voices. I did Scottish and French and, and then it took a couple months and I was like to my wife, I am the character. How come they don't just use me? You know, like, yeah. why am I? And then of course they did like, they were just getting ready. That's all they were prepping. <laughs> nice. But I thought you're going to find someone to do my voice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then when when we they restruck it for DVD like on the twentieth anniversary or something, 
Um, I was flown from Los Angeles to San Diego in a very small plane. So small that the pilot went, is everybody ready? <laughs> and um, they took my bag away from me. That's how small the plane was. <laughs> yes. I, was a, I was able to keep my book. I had a book. And then we drove across the border, San Diego, to uh, where they shot Titanic, which is called Fox Baja. And uh, we went into a control room. I mean, a, a conference room. And uh, there was a, an Apple Mac and a microphone. And that was it. And a bunch of people sitting around. And we re redid the whole movie again. Oh. And then I did a bunch of shout outs for people. And then one of the cats from that session, I've done a video game with, a uh, pod race one. And um, he, he said, uh, do you remember that session? I said, yeah, we had fish tacos. And we were standing in a room with one fucking microphone and a computer. He's like, can you believe it? Like, that was how. No, <laughs> oh, you'll like this. When we were finishing up in London before the got released, what year is Phantom Menace? 97? I think so. Somewhere around there. Yeah, 90, 96. 97, 99, Eight? somewhere around there. Something like that. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Well, it took a million years yeah. to make, of course. Yeah. Like Nightmare. Uh, I was brought back uh, to Soho. I was it happened to be in England. And they brought me back to do all the, you know, fully, right, the ADR. And um, they had a phone in a cradle and the guy in Marin at, at Lucasfilm um, listening, right? In, you know, he all he could do was approve the session. I was there with British engineers. So we did all the line scan, blah, blah, blah. And after every pass, he would go, brilliant, moving on. And finally, after the fifth or sixth one, I was like, I'm not that good. I go, um, can I ask a question? When does the movie open? And he goes, 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> so every pass I did on the final day of recording for that, for them was uh, golden. Yeah. And uh, that's, I believe what they used in the movie. And so, cause they had 10 days to assemble that and then distribute it to the world. And then, you know, in those days, cans of film. Yeah. <laughs> giant cans of film. So it was great. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah my agent in England at the time told me not to do it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like the deal. And I was like, I'm doing it. Well, yeah, I mean. And I went to my first Star Wars convention last year. Oh, in nice. Chicago. Which, again, something that we're, you know, now we can't do. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Um, and <laughs> I got to. Yeah. I, I had Star Wars stuff and. Uh, um, nightmare and you know all the yeah. all the nerd stuff that i've never been i've never gone to one so i quite liked it i bought a big stuffed chewbacca and uh, <laughs> i got to meet peter mayhew which was really cool and uh all the people from all the cartoons and shit were there it was it was i enjoyed it nice now of course the thought of being in a room with ten thousand people yeah it's like makes your flesh tingle yeah i'm a i'm a film director myself i've done a couple like uh conventions just to like sign dvds and give them to people and uh yeah i just think about that and i'm just like yeah there's no way that that could ever happen again anytime soon which is sad no <laughs> yeah not for a while yeah hopefully soon <laughs> i mean i think so i mean yeah. you know australia's having stuff and uh yeah. korea's having stuff and taiwan is back online it's really a matter of crushing it and um yeah. it takes a year to crush it you know you have to mm -hmm. trace and test everybody and you have to, the vaccine's going to help a lot. I mean, you know, uh, it, we just, like, you're, you know, yeah. we you know, we know what the deal is. I know. They, they knew, and they didn't do shit. Exactly. Um, and, and it's <laughs> malfeasance, and it's murder, and uh, that's where we're at. And we just have to try to live through this till we can get to Biden-Harris, because they're going to have doctors, and we're going to have stuff, yeah. and, you know. They, they're going to trust science. Um, luckily. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh. I um I've listened to your podcast a few times. Um, how how'd you get started doing that? Um, well, Matt and Ryan, who have been uh, have a record company called a Special Thing, and I've done a couple albums with them via Doug Benson. That's how I met them because I've been friends with Doug for a hundred years. Yeah, and uh, so we made a couple albums, and then it was right around two thousand ten, and Matt. 
um, is on Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy Pardo really is the one who started the ball rolling. Yeah. As far we know now as a podcast. I did a podcast for five years mm-hmm. on Audible, but it was only available in those days. You put in like an MP3 or, you know, it was yeah. a more limited thing. I remember doing podcasts with uh, um, Melanie Rivers, uh, Joan's daughter, in like 2004 or five. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was around, but it was a private affair. We used to call it radio for no one. <laughs> and then uh, when the technology got good, when smartphones came out, and when computers didn't, you didn't have to download everything onto a device, which you did in the early 2000s. Uh, they said, do you want to do a podcast? And I said, well, what about? And we talked about interviewing authors. We talked about a bunch of stuff. And then finally, my wife was like, why don't you just get up there and talk? So she was right. And after I did the first one, she said, we rented, we got a little hall on uh, Santa Monica over here. Bar Lubitsch holds about 40, 50 people. Said we're doing a free show tonight. Um, she goes, you should be doing this. This is more important than other things. And I was like, you're right. And that was October of 2010. So we we hit our 10 year anniversary in October, nice. which I, I yeah. like Whose Line. When we hit our 31st anniversary on Whose Line, I was a little blown away. Uh, it's also 25 years for Star Wars, and we passed 25 years for Nightmare a while ago. We're on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be 30 years in like two years. So, but I have a big thing that says 25th anniversary, you know, so <laughs> nice. we're, fortunately I've been able to do a bunch of stuff that people seem to want to keep going to. Um, and that's, uh, I've never cared about show business very much. I'm not very good at it, but I've been lucky in the things that I got on are, are fun things. Yeah. <laughs> that people like instead of dreary awful things that they hate <laughs> that, that's good um what uh... i've been in plenty of dreary awful things that people hate that <laughs> no one ever saw i i was in a movie a couple of years ago where i was the bad guy it was called duck duck goose and it had a huge cast um the women who produced shrek made it and chris jenkins directed it a lovely um welsh man and Jim Gaffigan was the lead, oh, wow. and Zendaya, and uh, uh, um, Craig Ferguson, Stephen Fry, Carl Reiner, wow. uh, Diedrich Bader, uh, Natalie, um, I'm blanking on her name, the comedian who's married to Moisha Cashel. Uh, oh, uh, Natasha Leggero, yeah, Natasha, Natasha Leggero, yeah. Reggie Watts. Uh, 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 this had a huge fucking cast. Yeah. And I was the bad, I was a, a cat trying to kill these uh, ducklings. <laughs> and um, Jim Gaffigan was the goose who was pressed into service to look after the ducklings on their long journey. <laughs> and I chased them across China and tried to kill them. And I thought it was really cute. It's beautifully made. But uh, not, you know, didn't... Nobody saw it, I guess? Or... Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, I get a check every once in a while, but yeah. you don't really hear about Duck, Duck, Goose as a timeless classic, and it's a pity because... There was a lot of talent in the movie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Even if you just had half, everybody half who did of those the voices people. were hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Craig Ferguson and Stephen Fry played two whooping cranes who were being assholes, and it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie. <laughs> They're both doing British accents. Yeah, it's just great. And um, Carl Reiner's a turtle. Oh wow, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good. I mean, you know, it's worth smoking a joint kind of kids movie. Yeah. It is a kids movie. Yeah, <laughs> I figured. Um, <laughs> And it, like I say, it it looks beautiful. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, and years ago, I was in a movie that's so weird called Kaina the Prophecy. And me and McShane play um, like android servants or whatever. And we're being obsequious and yes, master and everything. And the lead of the movie was Richard Bloody Harris. And <laughs> the lead Kaina was Chris, Kristen Dunn's. Like the voice talent in this movie was tremendous. It yeah. was like, so Richard Harris to the evil overlord, go and get me back. You know, it, it, like, <laughs> oh, wow. so it was great, but like nobody saw Kaina the prophecy. <laughs> I mean, like you don't even, what? <laughs> yeah. I think they thought it was going to be like an international, it kind of preceded, what's that awful James Cameron movie with unobtainium? Oh, uh, um, oh, the, uh, is it uh yeah avatar or 
avatar yeah it had the same kind of plot that was a tree and and uh, the tribe lived around the Mm. tree and uh, the evil overlord was being a knob and you know it sort of preceded that that's like i've always said again not a uh, not a smash what can i tell you like yeah i've always said avatar is uh is fern gully Last of the Mohicans and a little bit of Smurf sprinkled in there into a blender. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has the Smurf thing going on. Um, the, uh, well, I just felt like James Cameron didn't want to... Uh, he felt like talking down to a video game audience was sort of where he was coming from on that. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I love Alien and a- Aliens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, he's a, I mean, a gripping director. There's no question. But... I mean, Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's still a great director, but still, it's like... Yeah, I just couldn't get behind Avatar, but um, <laughs> at the beginning, at the beginning of the uh, containment, um, yeah. they were showing Terminator One over and over, and I watched it a couple times, and it's maybe the one of the great low budget sci fi oh, movies yeah. of all time. It's just, just thrilling, and uh, he does the thing that George Lucas sort of lost as he went further, which is keep the urgency, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Nobody walks into a scene like this and, you know, except for the girl who gets killed in the, yeah. the first Terminator. <laughs> people walk into scenes like this, they come running into scenes, you know, because the, the level of tension is like just fantastic. And 27 endings, you know, his specialty. It ends, it ends, it ends, it ends, it ends. It keeps ending. It's not, oh, it's not over. Do you have dreams that you want to achieve? but are scared to do so due to self-doubt, fear, and other people's criticism, I have just what you need. You need a dose of the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, where I interview guests that will motivate and inspire you to stop at nothing to achieve your dreams. And always remember, if you believe, you can achieve. question i like to ask people uh if you could give advice to your younger self like say yourself at like 25 or something what would you say to yourself well write more yeah um write a book earlier um uh study more be more serious uh travel more um learn a language i would have, i would have liked to be fluent in another language uh and a skill like filmmaking that those skills are important. They come in handy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really drifted from thing to thing. And the only thing I've dedicated myself to is telling jokes and goofing around and performing. So now here we are. And uh, you know, I've written a book. I have a bunch of albums. I have a podcast, this, that, that I have to perform online like everybody else because we're, we're you know, yeah. it's too dangerous. So, might have been good if I'd written a movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, writing a pop hit early in the career is always good. Yeah. The um yeah, the the whole Something uh... you can live off of is what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the going gets tough. Uh you know, I, I don't yeah. worry about I worry about Danny's emotional health, but Danny Elfman has written so many scores that he obviously it will be fine. Yeah. You know, like uh, if you have a giant body of work um, and a lot of, you know, I don't regret it, but like, I remember something Tom Petty said before he died that was struck me as really strange. Peter Bogdanovich did a giant um, documentary about Tom Petty that was like five hours long. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that. About, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, he yeah. was on tour. Yeah. And it was what well, it was like to be on the road and the process and what the life is like and they're smoking backstage and, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said, at the end of the day, when you've done a bunch of great shows, that's it. All you've got is a bunch of great shows. And I thought, but that's misunderstanding what we're doing. The point of it is mm-hmm. to do a bunch of great shows. It, yeah. It, you're not supposed to capture every moment of your life and lock it in amber. No. You're supposed to just carry on. And of course, that's what we're now we're being forced to live um, in a prison-like mentality. Not that I have to wear a mask. That's not my prison. The prison is nothing can happen right now with people. That's only something we're thinking about that's going to happen, which is what people in jail always tell you. 
they can't think about now as much. You have to think about when it's over, then my life will be different. So, uh, yeah. when you're a traveling ham, like I am, <laughs> it kind of clips your wings a little. So, uh, I might tell my younger self, be prepared for something like that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can't, mm. I can't understand. Like there's been a couple people came through locally standups doing like these drive-in shows like over the summer. And I, I just, I mean, I've never done standup, but I've been on stage like doing improv and doing com- comedy plays and stuff like that. I just can't understand the, I would want the reaction to the audience right away. I don't know how people could do that. I think that. you might yeah. be able to hear them. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm wondering. It, yeah. Hopefully, and also at least yeah. they're in cars and not like standing next to you. Yeah. When we do online gigs uh, through the several <clears throat> places I do online gigs through, um, we make we ask people to leave their mics on, so you do have a reaction. Oh, that's. And awesome. sometimes people are hysterical or talking, or there's a dog or a baby and <laughs> a lawnmower or whatever. So we're in another world here. Yeah, um, that's cool. Though. I don't mind yeah. it. Yeah. At least there's the human contact, but. It's also, uh, like I said, my wings got clipped a little. The group I'm in with Ryan Styles, we've been on the road for 20 years together. And last year we did 100 dates. Wow. And I did a bunch of dates of stand-up on top of that. And then I did a bunch of dates of Nightmare Before Christmas on top of that. And so I was, you know, traveling a lot and... I probably did 200 days on the road easily last year. And now I haven't been on the road since March 8th. Wow. And, uh, yeah, my wife, as far as my wife and I have gone is we went to Malibu once to see a friend early on and have drinks from six feet away. Wow. That was in April, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, no, I'm like... surviving. The idea is to survive. A lot of people have it a lot worse than me. I can't imagine being a healthcare worker or, um, you know, all the essential service people because yeah. they have to be going mad at this point, literally mad. And I mean, so, you know, I we try so. to raise money for charity, try to raise money for elections. Uh, I've been doing a lot of that. We did a who's line thing where I got all the guys to say yes to, um, me and Aisha, Colin, Dave Foley, Ryan. Uh, we raised money for, um, Warnock and Ossoff down in Georgia, you know, that ca- yeah. the campaign they just had. Now they're having another one on January 5th. It's all very important because the future of the world was all in. But, uh, so I've been trying to raise money. D- before the election, we did tons of uh, sister sister uh, state, they're called, where they try to get down ballot people money. Yeah. Uh, we tried to flip Iowa. Um, I did an event for... Uh, um, Wisconsin Democrats, Biden, Biden got Wisconsin back and not in little part to how much money we were able to pump in. Big old comedy special. That one was great. Fine. They had Mike Berbilia and uh, uh, Whitney, Whitney Cummings. And yeah, they got every comic in America to do that one. It was really good. Um, So we're trying to be useful. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) At least there are things like, you know, like Zoom and other, uh, you know, technology now as opposed to like you know the last pandemic you know in the early 1900s where you would just you know you couldn't do this <laughs> you know so at least you have if it's any options. consolation yeah in the 1900s uh, people behaved just this badly oh, i'm sure and um and the anti-maskers were there and um uh, the public health uh, warden of san francisco who imposed a strict lockdown and mask order um they were threatened to shoot him all the time people were shot over masking Jeez. um and it came right off the back of World War One because the troops brought it home, and it lasted two years, and 600,000 people died in America. Wow. So no one ever talks about it. It's a forgotten part of history. Yeah. When I was little, there was the Hong Kong flu. This was 1969 or 70, and it killed hundreds of thousands of people. I got it when I was a kid. Um, that was a plague. Um, it happens every, you know, F1 and uh, uh, Ebola. The difference was we had a health structure in place to contain them. Yeah. Um, SARS did not get out of control in North America. We were able to contain SARS. And I went to Canada during that time and came back and still didn't get it. And uh, they removed all the barriers to that, uh, that structure that was in place. And that's what, why we're having this shit show that we're having. Yeah. 
it absolutely we could have nailed it like taiwan or new zealand but it would have required great discipline and groupthink and america's terrible at being a team yeah I... there's so much selfish white supremacy that drives everything um you can't get us to all do the same thing it's just horrible it's 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 sad i i had to stop recently reading comments on any kind of news story because all you ever see are these trumpers with their you know yep. their weird QAnon conspiracies and everything so it's just yep insane. it's flooding the information flooding the zone with bullshit is all they've got it's yeah. really that's the depressing mm -hmm. part and that's the part that makes us all feel so anxious is at the what do they call it the fire hose of lies yeah because it never stops it's a literally just <laughs> and there's no rhyme or reason to it none of it's true none of it's even true yeah. And then you hear senators repeated and really important people repeated. And you're like, so have we all gone mad <laughs> that people who went to people who are literally billionaires who went to great schools to speak several languages are telling you that electors didn't vote for the right people because a computer that Hunter Biden, you know, gave me a break. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. anything. We'll get through make, it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> look, it wasn't better in 1918, like you said. Yeah. It took, it took a long time to mitigate. Mm -hmm. A lot of people fucking died. People lost their whole families. There wasn't instantaneous communication other than cinema and telegraph. And what people were really mad about was that they closed the movie theaters and the bars. Yeah. yeah. That's what they were most mad about, the fucking bars. But yeah. At least, at least you know, at least you, uh, you, know, you can watch TV and drink at home i guess um <laughs> so all we're being asked to do is watch tv and drink at home basically yeah so anyways uh, i don't want to take up too much more of your time uh thank you very right, much pal. thank you very much for your let time. me know when this goes out oh i will for sure and thanks for your time i appreciate it a lot and i'm a big fan so glad to finally thank talk you, to brother. you you yeah. be safe man oh i will you too thank you Bye. thanks mike okay that was my interview there with greg proops cool down-to-earth guy um you know kind of feel sorry for him about all the stuff that he had to postpone during 2020 um but you know unfortunately we have this sad pandemic that hit the world and um yeah and doesn't go away <laughs> yeah. hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it does soon maybe by the time this airs it will be i don't know <laughs> oh yeah we'll, we'll see <laughs> um but uh yeah, because um, we recorded this back uh, at the end of uh, the interview, back at the end of 2020. So who knows by the time this airs. Um, and uh, yeah, so anything? Uh, and, and what have you? What have you been watching or listening to lately, Matt? Anything cool? Um, <clears throat> I've been listening to a lot of uh, old Genesis albums. Awesome. You know, when Peter Gabriel was the lead singer. So I've been kind of going through their their old catalog quite a bit lately and um as far as tv i mean i was i was watching mandalorian i finished that like last week or so um been re-watching the clone wars um series um which which features watched, greg, which features greg proop in a couple different roles, yeah i believe so yep 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 so. he was in a couple episodes yeah that um <clears throat> um been re-watching community a lot um there's a show called The Magicians that I really like. I just finished um, season four of that, and season five should be on Netflix sometime in January. Um, you know, just watching a lot of you know new stuff. Just try to you know to get some some more creativity going. I mean, you know, I've been watching a lot of the same stuff over and over, but I'm trying to watch some new stuff too. You know, to yeah. Hopefully I got to start watching. I'm going to start watching some new stuff. I've been watching a lot of YouTube and stuff, but I also uh, watching, um, watching, you know, again and again, you know, episodes of Superstore and uh, how, yeah. I met, how I met your mother again, for some reason, I decided, him, to, him. I decided to start that over again. And um, it's show him, him, yep. him, him. Yeah, things that make me feel comfortable, you know, yeah. and stuff well, like it, that. It does help to watch the same shows again, because uh, it kind of makes you feel safe in a way and stuff like that, so. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, if you haven't yet, I've also been watching uh, 
you know, I, I highly recommend Star Trek Discovery. It's really good. If you have not watched that show yet, highly recommend it to anyone. So, cool. yeah, I, you know, it's probably the best Star Trek that's come out in ages, especially season three. Um, but uh, beyond that, I don't know. Haven't been really listening to any new music. Um, you know, will recommend anybody that hasn't checked out uh, um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters by uh, Fiona Apple to check that out. Probably the best album of 2020. So there mm-hmm. we go. <laughs> Anyways, um, hope you all enjoyed that interview there we had with Greg Proops. And uh, hope you're all doing well. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, and uh, be sure to follow us on the social meds, um, <laughs> the twits, the books, the grams. <laughs> the you know, the grams. Yes. And, uh, all that jazz. All that jazz. Is that a new one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, it's just- it just plays like a jazz chord every time you you put like a tweet or whatever. It just goes beep beep beep, beep or like a chord, guitar chord or whatever. Beep beep bop, 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 bop. That's all it does. Yes, and, and uh, guess what? It's worth five billion dollars as a company because that's how what that's what how capitalism makes sense nowadays. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> One day we'll get there, Matt. One day. <laughs> and. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, check out our Patreon, everything else that's in the show notes. Um, you know, check out, be sure to check out Greg Proop's uh, podcast, uh, Smartest Man in the World, and uh, anything else. Um, but beyond that, stay safe, you know, be good to each other, Yeah, or, or as Bill, Bill and Ted would say, be excellent to each other. Yeah, there we go. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to All Too Real 2 Podcast, a Cullen Park production. Produced and edited by Michael E. Cullen II. Music by Matthew Haas. Subscribe and share the show. Visit us at cullenpark.com.